Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Climbing the Ivy on the Fan Side of Network. This is your host, Alex Pat, and tonight, Adam McGinnis cannot be with us, so we have our great site expert, Jacob Meisner, here. He once hosted this show and has been on a couple of times. Always really good talking to Jake. How are you doing tonight, buddy? I'm good, man. How are you? I am doing just great. So tonight, as we record... The Cubs are going to play game two in this series against Houston. They lost game one, six to five, almost came back after trailing six to three, but it was all for naught. But they will try to rebound in game two tonight. John Lester takes the mound in Houston. Uh, So, Jake, um, it's been kind of a frustrating week the past week, seven days. I, uh, you know, maybe 10 days around there going back to the Philadelphia series, the Cincinnati series, and the beginning of the Houston series. So, I mean, really, really since last Monday, um, how do you feel overall right now? Do you feel like the Cubs' hot streak was a little bit of smoke and mirror? Do you think it's just a slump? Do you think injuries are kind of to blame right now? Or do you think it's kind of a hodgepodge of everything, just baseball being baseball? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just baseball being baseball. We're, what, like a quarter of the way through the season, maybe a third now. Uh, there's a lot that goes right, a lot that goes wrong in a baseball season. Um, yeah, I think really for me, the Cincinnati series, not just this one, but earlier this month when uh, the Reds took two of three, that that's just one of those teams that you feel like you need to take two of three or sweep those yeah. series. So I, I think just... The fact of who we're losing to is what's really weighing people down. I mean, splitting with Philly is nothing to shake your head at. They're a really good team. Um, Took two or three from Washington. Last night was frustrating. Um, But again, even without Altuve, Correa, and Springer, Houston's still a really deep lineup. And uh, yeah, like you said, it's been a little bit of everything. Just there's nothing that's been like absolutely awful outside of maybe the starting pitching, but it, it just hasn't fallen our way. Yeah, and a lot of these uh, losses have just been really frustrating. I, I kind of said yesterday, it almost hurts more coming so close and winning or so, coming so close and losing than, like, getting blown out. I know it sounds weird. It's you, you could look at it and say, well, you know, they made a game of it at least, but it's almost like, well, they almost won but they didn't it it feels kind of like a missed opportunity you could go back at a number of things and say well look if this Schwarber hit would have gotten in or if Cole Hamels would have just gotten this one batter out if this slow ground ball that found its way through would have been stopped you kind of go back and you play what ifs when you get blown out like you did on Sunday against the Reds you say look we were bad they were good. We just flat out lost. And that's what really got to me in the Philly series. What's kind of funny about the Philly series is, I'm sure you could agree with this, you could have easily won the two games you lost. You could have also easily lost the two games you've won. Yeah, absolutely. That was just one of those series that it was good back and forth baseball the whole time. And and like I said, Phillies are a good team, and it was good baseball just, after that hot streak, we're we're probably a little little greedier than we should be. You know, sure, two out of four isn't going to cut it after, you know, you don't lose a series for a month plus. Uh, but you know, yeah, last night really bothered me, just because 
it's like before the the Theo and the Joe era and all the success we've had now, like the Cubs don't, my grandparents always used to say, you know, the Cubs don't lose games. They raise losing to an art form. And that's how it feels when, you know, you like last night, come back and make a ball game of it late only to fall short. You feel like, you know, it got your hopes up for nothing, but then you have games like last year, you know, against Washington where they pull it off. David Bodie hits a walk off grand slam and, you know, you're rewarded for your faith, but it is disappointing to to battle back in a game that you felt was over to only to, to fall short. And that was the other thing with the last game against Philly is what would have happened if Jason Hayward would have walked and not struck out if that fourth pitch was called a ball, not a strike. Now, granted, he swung at two pitches that were also balls, so you got to give him some responsibility there, but that fourth pitch could have easily been called the ball. It was pretty borderline. That would have been bases loaded, nobody out. And then, of course, the next batter, Tyler Chatwood, hits a rocket double to left field. Again, you're playing the, the what-ifs, the what-ifs, the what-ifs, and that always can grind away at you. And in the first game against Philly, it checks swing. That's called a check swing. The game's over. If you, Darvish doesn't have some bad fortune in the sixth inning because he pitched great that game. Uh, that ground ball doesn't get up the middle. Again, you're you're playing the what-if game. But I think one of the biggest problems I have right now, and check out the last 10-minute episode of this show. I took to this show on Friday night uh, the blown games by the bullpen. The Cubs are one of the worst in terms of converting saves. Do you think this is more of a problem or is it baseball being baseball? To me, it's a problem. We knew it was going to be a problem in December. Thank we you. It and wrote about it until our fingertips bled and our voices went hoarse. Uh-huh. Everyone else that follows this team. And instead, we scraped together our pennies to go out and get Xavier Cedeno and Tony Barnett. And we were told that everything would be fine. And That's clearly, what I said. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, we're definitely on the same page. It, it was a problem in December. It's a problem heading into June, and we need impact arms in that bullpen. Don't get me wrong. Brad Brock's been solid, but you can't tell me that we need a big out from a lefty, and that guy's Kyle Ryan. Like, oh, no, no. No. Like, pen it on the line last week of September, and you're telling me we're going to turn to, you know, somebody like Kyle Ryan. And, and don't get me wrong. He's, he's pitched better than I thought he would, but he's – He's not a guy you hand the ball to and feel any type of comfort. No, of course not. And look, we saw Tyler Chatwood get the save the other day. And I just want to give all the credit in the world to Tyler Chatwood from going from like completely useless to being a pretty significant part of this team. You've seen him take over games, pitch multiple innings of scoreless ball or one-run ball. You saw him get a save. I mean, Tyler Chatwood, and he, even with the bat, you know, he's hitting doubles. Tyler Chatwood has done a complete 180 so far. But Tyler Chatwood is not a closer by trade by any means. Do you really want Tyler Chatwood as your closer, even though he is pitching much better? I don't. No, I mean, I, what I want is Pedro Strope back, and hopefully he steps right back into that role. And with the hamstring, you know, on the up and up, he's he's better than he was earlier this year. But, you know, it's it's frustrating. Honestly, at this point, I would almost rather turn it over to someone like Chatwood in the meantime, because, you know, Steve isn't a closer, you know, just the same as Kyle Ryan's not your go-to lefty out of the pen. Steve Ciszek's not a closer. He's a bridge guy. He's a fireman to get you out of those sixth and seventh inning jams 
and get the ball to whoever's supposed to shut the door. And Joe has ridden him stupid hard in his yeah. year plus here. I mean, he pitched in 80-something games last year. It's it's unreasonable to expect him to be ready to go and close games out on a night-in, night-out basis because if you take him out of the role that Joe's used to him, who do you turn to? You won't ever get a chance to, to close ball games out if, if you start pulling guys like C-Shack out of that role. Right, that's the thing. C-Shack has done so much more good than bad. I think C-Shack deserves a lot of praise from Cubs fans, but his arm is probably wearing out already. You saw him get a multi-inning save in Washington. He's been used like crazy, and he even said when he blew the save against the Reds, uh, Joe Madden said, oh, he was uh, you know, not a full tank of gas or whatever he said, but he basically said uh, he wasn't 100%. It's like, okay, then then who do you go to? I mean, that's that's not what you want to hear. And what I said on that last rant episode, Jake, I don't know if you listened to it or not, but what I said was multiple times, you knew your actual closer, Brandon Morrow, was not going to be healthy to start the season. You knew that, that your near 40-year-old reliever was not going to be ready. And you really did not seemingly know exactly when he was going to come back because it's, oh, he'll miss the first few weeks. Oh, he will miss the full first month. Oh, he's going to be shut down now. You didn't even know when he was going to come back, really, when you think about it. it what did you do about it? Not much. No, I mean, like I said, we went bargain shopping at the dollar store. And, you know, expected everything to work itself out. And, I mean, to this point, it has. To, to be fair, despite being four and six in their last ten games, we're still in first place. Yeah. So don't get me wrong. I'm not, you know, sounding the alarm, pulling the panic lever. Like, none of that. I, we're in first place, and I, I totally understand that. But I don't think it's reasonable to expect to stay in first place over the next four months without making some impactful decisions mm-hmm. that— Probably going to hurt. You're going to have to lose a guy like Ian Happ or, you know, Victor Caratini, you know, someone along those lines that that you probably don't want to lose. But you have to do it. You have to do it. Look at Washington. Look at how quickly that window's closed. Look at Cleveland. They might not even make the playoffs this year. You cannot take these seasons and these situations for granted and say, well, we'll just, you know, we'll have more funds available next year. No, you can't do that because for all we know, next year the Cubs might only win 78 games. We don't know that. You're in first place a third of the way through the season. You've got to do your duty, pull the trigger, and address what needs addressed. Exactly. Think about being a Cleveland fan right now. It looked like you had a huge window to work with to contend for a World Series. When Cleveland fans saw their team lose to the Cubs in 2016, A lot of them were pretty optimistic going forward. You say, okay, we got this great core around Francisco Lindor. We got a pitching staff with Corey Kluber and Trevor Bauer and uh, what if the guy with the long hair, I'm blanking on his name, Um, but uh, Clevenger. So you have those guys. And then you have, you know, depth in your organization. Uh, Jose Ramirez, one of the most underrated players out there. But look, I mean, they haven't won a playoff series since, and I don't think they're going to the postseason this year. That team is not very good. You look at that lineup, it's not very good. And Corey Kluber's hurt. 
So not looking too good there. No, it, like like I said, it can it can close on a dime, and it just feels like the decisions that have been made in the last call it six months are not being made with a sense of urgency. And yet they preach sense of urgency. But... Yeah, apparently it's on Joe for not instilling a sense of urgency, despite averaging ninety five wins for the last four years. But meanwhile, the front office tells us that. Tony Barnett and Xavier Cedeno are the answers in the bullpen when they went into this season knowing full well that Brandon Morrow might not throw a pitch. You know what's funny is the whole Joe Madden thing. He's getting a lot of grief for his lineups lately. He's getting grief for almost everything. I mean, fans naturally disagree with the manager on a lot of things. But look at the injuries that have piled up on this team. Baez has had that ankle issue ever since Washington when he got that bruise. Chris Bryant collided with Jason Hayward. He's been out. You're having a lot of nagging injuries here. There's only so much he can do with not only a depleted lineup, but a depleted bullpen as well. Because, like we've talked about, Strope has been out. Morrow has been out. Mike Montgomery has had some injury issues. And you've had a lot of ups and downs from guys There's only so much Joe Madden can do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it it just, it's insane how much Cubs fandom has changed in five years. It really is. I never thought in my life that people would complain about a manager who has done what Joe's done four straight playoff appearances. I mean, a World Series title, three LCS births. multiple division titles. I mean, it's just, I don't get it. I really don't. And I, I, I hope I'm wrong, but if they do part ways with Joe after the season, who, who, who is going to do a better job than Joe? I would love to hear your list of names. I mean, Dusty Baker's probably sitting on the golf course somewhere if you really want him, but I just, it, it's mind blowing to me how people are ready to just roast Joe whenever something goes wrong and meanwhile apparently it's all credit to Theo or all credit to the players for the fact that the team has won as much as it has yeah and look do I always agree with Joe no are there some things that Joe does that drives me crazy sure but I would say the good really outweighs the bad I mean the results kind of show that right I mean you you would think so but apparently we're in the minority Uh, when it comes to that opinion. Here's the other thing. You mentioned how, like, who would you want to replace? I just want to say this on this show now. I really do not like the idea of Joe Girardi as next manager. It just feels like people say Joe Girardi because of the resume he has. He won a World Series 10 years ago. He's been known for being very old school and not embracing of the analytics and whatnot. I just don't think Joe Girardi would be the right guy here, but he's a recognizable name. So I think a lot of people just automatically go to Joe Girardi as the next option when I think that you could go in another direction and find a better candidate that might not be even as known as Joe Girardi. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the best way I could describe it is, you know, Obviously, we all go to the movies. We all see see movies. But some of the best movies that I ever, you know, that I I enjoy are ones with a cast that 
I don't recognize. I don't know these actors. Um, you know, for Star Wars fans, like Rogue One was really well done. It didn't carry a ton of star power. No. People consider it to be one of the better movies because it wasn't, you know, it's not like watching a, you know, a Leonardo DiCaprio movie where Leo is the focus. It's it's not. It, and that's kind of how I look at this. Like, I don't need a Joe Girardi. I, I don't, like you said, he won a World Series 10 years ago. Great. Good for him. But, you know, I felt like we, Joe Girardi was supposedly going to be the manager 10 years ago or five years ago or whatever it was before Joe came on, you know. The the writing was on the wall. The connections were there. Like, just cool it. Yeah, because Joe Girardi was kind of one of those guys where it was him and Ryan Sandberg who were the guys that everyone wanted to replace Lupinella with after he retired because they were recognizable names. Joe Girardi and Ryan Sandberg were both, you know, big here in Chicago when they played here. Obviously, Ryan Sandberg was bigger, but still, Joe Girardi played on the Cubs for a number of years, and he was a pretty solid player and pretty popular with the fans. But I just think in looking at a manager, there, there's more to just a big name. Who the perfect manager would be after Joe Man leaves, I mean, I don't know. I can't give you an exact name, but I can tell you I don't think Joe Girardi would be the right one, at least in my opinion. No, and I, I think it's just, you know, it's premature to even think about it. Joe is the manager of this team. And although I don't like the signs that we've gotten from the front office and their unwillingness to, to commit long-term to Joe, I, as far as I'm concerned, he's done nothing that should cost him a job. It's that simple. Yeah. I, you know, you look at the success and I, I'm pretty much with you there. Let's stay on the topic of front office because there's something I really kind of want to discuss on this show. Something interesting, you know, is, as time goes on, we obviously see the goods and bads of our front office. Now, the front office, I think we can agree, has done a lot more good than bad. I mean, we've had the best record of the majors the past four years, and we've won a World Series, won a pennant, uh, been to the NLCS three times. They've done a lot of good since basically tearing everything down and rebuilding. But... Obviously, not every move has worked out the way it should. And people have been saying, well, what have his moves been like since they won the World Series? Has there been a lot of bad? Has there been a lot of good? Because there have been a lot of moves that have made people scratch their heads or maybe regret a little bit as fans since uh, the, the World Series. So let's go through some of the big trades that have happened since 2016, like right before the World Series. And this this was all kind of started by a follower of mine on Twitter, Tyler Kading, uh, at uh, BearCub712. So thank you, Tyler, for this idea. We're going to start with the Starling Castro trade and work forward. So right before they won the World Series, and you and I will say good, bad, indifferent, or not sure yet. Does that sound good? Fair. Okay, so Starlin for Adam Warren. I say it's good because while the return itself may not have been productive, it made room for Ben Zobrist. I think the intention of the move, the move was to get Ben Zobrist because Starlin Castro would have had 
no place here. So I'd yeah. say it's good in hindsight. Yeah, I agree. It was good. Um, yeah, the Cubs clearly had other plans and uh, a direction they wanted to move in. And like you said, there simply wasn't enough reps for Castro. I mean, he's, he definitely played a huge part in franchise history. Um, wish him all the best, but it was a trade that needed to be made, and it was a good one. And look, I'm just going to say right now, I think Ben Zobris is far and away a better player than Sterling Castro. I, I think this is a little bit of a hot take here, but I think Castro is one of the most overrated Cubs I've ever watched. He could make contact, but he didn't slug the ball a lot, wasn't good in the field. I mean, he hit a lot of singles because he made a lot of contact, but he padded a lot of stats, and I'd rather have Ben Zobris. I could give you a good at-bat every time, draw walks when necessary, and look, the guy had the most important go-ahead hit in the history of the franchise, so... Yeah, I'll take Zobris over Castro any day. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, Ben Zobris is a professional hitter. Um, there's there's no two ways around it, but I don't I don't know. Uh, I mean, I feel like Starlin still has a lot of baseball left in him. He's only 29 this year. He's already knocking on 1,500 hits, so that's something that I'll always low-key pay attention to is just you know, if he plays for 10 more years and averages 150 hits a year, which he's pretty much done his whole career. I mean, we're talking about a 3,000 hit guy in Starlin Castro, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, the guy can make contact, and I'll give him credit for that. I don't want to say he's a bad player, but I just I thought that he was a little bit overrated in the scheme of this rebuild. I thought that going in the direction they did was the right move. It just, like, like I said, the fit just wasn't there and to me he felt a lot like I don't know how much you follow the Bears but it was kind of like trading away Jordan Howard to make room for a player that fits the mold more yeah I mean for me his his mental lapses in the field uh, in his last season in Chicago really cost him yeah he had a rough year in 2015 he heated up towards the postseason like he had some nice hits in the postseason and Last month or so, he looked a lot better, but there were a lot of struggles in 2015. I think that can get forgotten about because he's had a lot of good seasons, but 2015, his last year, was one of his not-so-good seasons. Yeah, I think the the story came to an end at an appropriate time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So, moving on, uh, Chris Coughlin for Aaron Brooks. Uh, I can't, I think it's just kind of indifferent. What did that do? Nothing. Yeah. I mean, it, it didn't have much of an impact on the trajectory of the franchise. I couldn't really care less. Neither did Edgar almost for a player to be named later, but then we get to Coglin again. We traded Arismendi Alcantara for Chris Coglin again. And Chris Coglin ended up being a really good player coming back again. Both his stints in Chicago we're very good, so I'd say thumbs up. That was a good trade. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. When he came back, it was, it was. I mean, he was he was a key piece, a very key piece. Okay. Uh, next, we have Blackburn and Dan Vogelbach for Mike Montgomery, the guy who got the final out of the World Series. Um, I know Mike Montgomery's had his ups and downs, and Dan Vogelbach this year is breaking out and crushing it. But I'd say it was a good trade for the Cubs, considering what Mike Montgomery did, that big final out. And 
Just the fact that Dan Vogelbach, where was he going to play? He's a DH. He belongs in the American League. Yeah, anyone who has ever in their lives said Kyle Schwarber is a DH cannot defend this trade. They cannot. They cannot try and tell me that Dan Vogelbach is an NL player because he is the epitome of a designated hitter. And you know what? Good for him. He is mashing this year. Only the third player ever to hit an upper decker at, well, now T-Mobile Park uh, in Seattle last night. The thing was just absolutely crushed. But like you said, Montgomery, given what he's done, and not just the last out of, of Game 7, he's stepped up when the team was in a tough spot with injuries, You know, the la- especially last year. Uh, with Darvish going down and Chatwood struggling. I mean, the Cubs don't win, you know, 95 games without him last year. Yeah, good point there, too. He's been very good depth in the organization. And even if he doesn't pitch much this year, because we saw him start injured, and then he's come back, he's been up and down, and now he's injured again. But I think Mike Montgomery could at least cement his place in Cubs history with getting the final out of the World Series and some good work um, in relief slash as a spot starter. Uh, then we have Glaber Torres for Chapman. They won the World Series. Do we have to go any further? We don't, because prospects are cool, but trades. Fl- yep, banners fly forever, as they say. Next is Jesus Castillo for Joe Smith. Uh, shrug. Joe was decent. Again, doesn't really matter. If you ask somebody in 10 years who Joe Smith is, 85% of Cubs fans won't remember him. Yeah. Now, here's one that stirs up some conversation, but I think this was a really good trade. Jorge Soler for Wade Davis. So this was kind of the first big trade since they won the World Series. Jorge Soler, while having all the potential in the world, had a lot of injury problems. Lots of ups and downs in the bigs. Wade Davis was key in that 2017 season getting the NLCS. They don't get that far without him. And even if Solaire does become something in Kansas City, I still think it was worth it. Well, it just it, that trade to me goes and ties directly to what we were talking about to start the show, about the front office acting with a sense of urgency. They knew mm-hmm. they they knew they had a, a need at the back end of the bullpen. They went out and they dealt from a position of strength to, you know, address that. And Wade Davis was huge, instrumental. Like, was it, you know, a roll this Chapman domination in the ninth? No, of course not. But the the image of Bryce Harper swinging over a cutter on the hands to close out the division series will live in my memory forever. Absolutely. And then Wade Davis just banging his hand on his glove in celebration after that. It was a thing of beauty. And what, he had got like an eight-out save that game? Like just grinded through? Something like that. It's like old, gritty, you know, I don't like the whole like old school in my day type of baseball talk because it kind of irritates me sometimes. But that was like gritty old school in your face. I'm going to get this done myself baseball. And it was awesome. It really was. It really was. And Solaire, wish him the best of luck in KC. I'm still a fan of him, but he still has to play a full season without having injury issues. You see the power that he has. I mean, we saw glimpses of it 
in 2015, 2016 here in Chicago, but it just, it never came together. And as soon as the Cubs got Jason Hayward, even if Jason Hayward hasn't hit like we expected him to, I think it's fair to say that Solaire's place on the team became less certain when they got Jason Hayward. Yeah, I would still take the production we've gotten out of Hayward over what I think we would have gotten from Jorge Soler over the same stretch. Yeah, because we just don't know what would have happened with Jorge Soler. I agree. Next, we have James Ferris for Eddie Butler. Uh, For a number of reasons, I thought that turned out pretty nice. Eddie Butler uh, had some decent moments as a Cub, and he would be involved in a later trade that would end up being good. So, yeah, I'd say that was good. Yep, nothing more to add on that one. Butler was... That was that one worked out in our favor. Exactly. So you have a few few more minor ones. You had uh, Dewey's for Alec Mills. I think you can shrug at that one. Caesar for Hancock. You could probably shrug at that one. Ross Cup for Kara City. I think you could shrug at that one. Montero for Cash. Miguel Montero for Cash. Uh, he was done at that point. So. Yeah. Yeah, for multiple reasons that um, that had run its course, to say the least. And look, I think Miguel Montero might go down as one of the most underappreciated Cubs of that era. The Grand Slam in Game 1 of the NLCS, the literal game-winning hit in Game 7, I mean, that was pretty big. But Yeah, what's funny is nobody remembers. I bet if you went and asked random people on the street, or even if you went to Wrigley and started asking people who had the game-winning hit, who drove in the game-winning run in Game 7, I bet 7 out of 10 would say Ben Zobris. Oh, yeah, because everyone remembers the Ben Zobris go-ahead hit, but they needed that eighth run from Miguel Montero, and that was huge. I, Miguel Montero didn't hit a lot in that postseason, but like the few hits he did get won them the World Series. I mean, imagine if he didn't hit the Grand Slam in Game 1. Imagine if he didn't hit that go-ahead single, or I should say padding single, if you want to call it that, in Game 7. They don't win the World Series. No, they don't. I think his short-term legacy is just tainted because of how things ended. And I I think with time, people will look at what he did for the organization and the team in in a much different light. Yeah, it's kind of a shame it had to end like that. But again, like you said, he ran his course. He was old. I mean, after he was a Cub, he barely played any longer. I don't think he played in the majors since 2017. And that was when we got rid of him was midseason last year. So he was coming to an end anyway. Uh, Moving on to probably the most controversial one. It's Eloy and Cease for Jose Quintana. This one, I think, is kind of early to tell, but I still think that in the end, the Sox are going to get the better end of the deal. But what we've seen from Jose Quintana this year and what Jose Quintana gave us in 2017, that was a pretty important get because I don't think they win the division in 17 without Jose Quintana. And I think this year they don't have as many wins without Jose Quintana despite that 2018 was a pretty mediocre year for him. It's just elevated by the fact that we gave up two absolute stud prospects. I think Eloy and Cease are going to be stars in this league. 
the long-term deal is probably going to be benefited a lot by the White Sox. But, you know, right now, I just say, let's see how things unfold. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if I need to see them unfold. I think it was a move you had to make. I mean, it really, you had to make that move. Um, Is it tough? Yeah, I mean, you could watch Eloy just mash for the next 10 minimum 10 years on the south side and you know while we sit here and talk about the the cubs bullpen issues you know we could see dylan cease come up and become a shutdown closer or our frontline star i mean he could go in so many different ways his stuff's so good yeah obviously it'll be tough to watch those guys have success but given where we were with the thoughts of back-to-back championships on our mind and i don't fault theo at all for that trade no, you had to make a move. I think a, what a lot of people were upset about was not getting Justin Verlander instead because we've seen what Justin Verlander had become in Houston. But think about the time. A lot of Cubs fans were saying no to Justin Verlander, including myself, because he had a lot of miles on his arm and it looked like he was past his best days. Did you see Justin Verlander becoming this in Houston. I don't think you did. I sure didn't. And I don't think anybody in baseball saw him become this good. No, absolutely not. It's to me, it's the same, not the same because, you know, it's a little different here, but you know, I don't think anyone saw Garrett Cole turning into what he's turned into in Houston and Garrett Cole's, you know, nearly a decade younger than, than Verlander is Verlander was, it seemed to be on the, on the decline in Detroit. Honestly, I thought it was just, They'll get him for this run and he'll, you know, he'll be serviceable, but I had no idea he'd become what he is. Yeah, exactly. So that that's probably the most controversial one that we hear about a lot. Uh, then moving on, we have another a big one from 2017. Jamer Candelario and Isaac Paredes for Justin Wilson and Alex Avila. I think we could say this didn't work out like the way we thought. Justin Wilson was not the guy we thought he was going to be. Alex Savula, here's the thing about him. He didn't put up spectacular numbers with the Cubs, but I felt like the hits he got were pretty big that year. And you also got to remember Wilson Contreras got injured later in that season. And right now, Jamer Candelario, he's been sent back to the minors. He's shown a few glimpses, but he hasn't really turned into a stud or anything. And again, there was no room for him here in Chicago. Parade Ace, we have no idea what he's going to be. So yeah, right now, I'd say it was kind of a eh, trade, but not like a terrible trade, like a lot of people say it is. I At least Alex Avila did come up big in a few stints with the Cubs in a few at-bats or a few key games, if you want to call it that. Yeah, I mean... I think the reason, and, and people might think I'm too easy on, on Theo, because I, don't, I really don't have a problem with the trades he's made, even including this one, because I am such a, a fervent believer that when you're in a window, you got to make the moves you feel like you need to make. And the Cubs needed a, a shutdown lefty. By all indications, Justin Wilson was a shutdown lefty. I yep. mean, you can't help that he went to pieces. I mean, based on the, the evidence that they had in front of them, that's a smart move. It makes sense. So you can't fault him that it didn't work out. Does it? I mean, obviously we can be disappointed, but 
at the time, that seemed like a really good deal. And again, the Cubs were trading. What Theo's done really well, even on the trades where he's missed, if you will, is he's always dealt from positions of strength. He's never left the Cubs in a bad position by dealing from you know a spot that we don't have the depth to succeed post-trade. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. Next, we have player to be named later for Leonis Martin. Hey, he robs the Cardinals of a game-tying home run after we clinched the division to, to, com- to officially eliminate them in 2017. I say good. Yeah, I mean, that'll get you a special place in anyone's heart. Yep, and then uh, we got the Jesse Chavez trade in 2018. I think that was a pretty good move. Jesse Chavez ended up being an absolute bull in that bullpen. Uh, he didn't get re-signed, but that might be a good thing because I think the regression light was really shining. But they got the most out of him, so yeah, good move. Yeah, I mean, regression light blinking like is, is an understatement, to say the least. He's pitched to... Uh, a whip just under one five this year with a four fifty five ERA. Anyone who th- anyone who thought Jesse Chavez was going to put up a one one five ERA over the course of a, another full season at age thirty five, whatever world you're living in, I, I'd love to come visit because that is a place of pure ecstasy. Right, and even going into the off season, I thought, okay, if they resign him, fine. But if not, I wasn't going to be overly upset because of that regression bell ringing. So there you go. Then we probably have one of the trades that has surprisingly worked out the best. And that was Butler and Lacey for Cole Hamels. Yeah, Cole Hamels has struggled the past few games, but that shouldn't take away what he's been overall as a Cub. Not at all. He's probably just having a little bit of a rough patch right now. Cole Hamels has had a fantastic career. I'm not overly worried about him right now. And yeah, that my recency bias is not going to change how good that trade was. No, it absolutely. I mean, again, I just look at it as you mean to tell me that Eddie Butler is going to be a uh, you know an important piece for the Cubs for years to come? No, of no. course he's not. Cole Hamels is an important piece. Cole Hamels was an absolutely critical piece, you know, at the time of that trade. And what he what he was able to do was historic. And, uh, again, the same as I'm not worried about John Lester struggling late, like right now. I, I'm not worried about Cole Hamels. He's been there before. He's always worked his way out of it. He'll be fine. And you know what? I feel really good. You know, if we punch a, a, another postseason ticket, I feel really good with those five guys that we're trotting out there in a series now. Yeah, Cole Hamels is another guy like John Lester who has a great track record in the postseason. So you got to feel good about that. And though they only played in the wild card game last year, you saw Cole Hamels come in relief and keep the team in the game. Unfortunately, the Chili Bats once again could not heat up, but. He was part of that game, getting it as far as it did. Yeah, he's one of those guys that just, you know, puts his head down, does his work. Whatever's asked of him, he does it. He does it with a smile on his face. He's fantastic in the community. Obviously, that isn't as big of a, a determining factor for a lot of fans, but he, he really fits the culture. He makes his team better, and I don't think that we are done Um terms of being able to talk about his contributions i think he's got a lot left to give this year and we'll see what happens after that 
So then we have the Kinsler trade. That one last year was bad. This year it has started off really good, and lately it has not been so good. As much as I liked watching Kinsler do well in the first month or so of the season, I'm not ready to call that trade good. So I'm going to say not that great. Yeah, um, I'm probably indifferent, but leaning in the same direction as you. He was bad last year. There's no two ways around it. He was yeah. bad. Um, completely unreliable. You could not put him into any type of meaningful situation. Uh, this year, like you said, he started off nice and uh, solid and, and definitely uh, found himself in Joe's circle of trust. But, you know, we'll see how this season goes, but it seems like a bit of a miss. I feel like we could have gotten the same production and the same quality out of guys in Iowa as we did with Kinsler. For sure. Then we had the Daniel Murphy trade, and that was interesting because we didn't give up a lot to get him. And when Daniel Murphy first got here, it looked like he was the spark they needed in the offense. He was hitting. He was hitting the opposite field. He was spraying the ball all over the place. And then he went ice cold, absolutely ice cold. He was here for about, what, a month? They got him late August. He was really just here for September mainly. Yep. He started off good, faded. I mean, you didn't lose anything in that. So maybe overall it was disappointing, but I don't think it was bad from a baseball perspective. That that one I just kind of go, meh. I'd rather kind of forget about it because Daniel Murphy will always be that smug guy who killed the Cubs. Yeah, I mean... Like you said, he only played in 35 games. He he did hit 297. I mean, I'll give him that. He put up an 800 OPS in, in his very brief time here. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, again, it was a move that I think Theo and, and Jed got in a room and said, hey, if we don't light a spark under this offense, we're in trouble. And, you know, when you looked at the at the landscape and who was available, Daniel Murphy fit the bill. He's a professional hitter. He's a career 300 hitter. So, you know, inserting a veteran with that kind of track record makes a lot of sense. It just didn't uh, ultimately do what we wanted it to. So then we have a few more minor ones that I think you could shrug at, like uh, Drew Smiley for player to be named later. It looked like they were going to experiment a little bit with Drew Smiley. Never ended up happening. Never threw a pitch as a cub. Who knows what Drew Smiley is going to do down the road. So I think I could just shrug at that one. I don't think a good bullpen or bad bullpen or anything is making or breaking due to the presence of Drew Smiley. Uh, no, if, if, if your bullpen or your rotation is betting on Drew Smiley, then we've got some bigger problems. Yeah. Then you have uh, Valser for Wick. That one, we'll see. Shrug. Don't know. Um, yeah, that's all I got to say on that one. Yeah, don't know. Don't really care. I mean, it's, it's another one of those trades that just happens in baseball. Then we have player to be named later for Ronald Torres, who was a Cub for maybe, like, what, a week? When they got Ronald Torres, I thought, okay, decent depth. And then they just... Kind of got rid of him. 
Eh. Whatever. Yeah. I was excited. Whatever. I was excited about him. And then, you know, I think I wrote something on them getting him. And then, like, four days later, I wrote something about how he was gone. So, didn't get to, to be excited very long. But, yeah, it didn't really matter, I guess, in the end. I mean, I don't know if that sign was just to get a player to be named later. I, I don't really know. But, yeah, again, whatever. I don't think we're sitting here thinking about Ronald Torres. In fact, when I saw this thread i completely forgot about ronald torres honestly yeah you know i don't think you're alone in that boat i don't think so either now we get to one that people are scratching their heads over a little bit and adam and i talked about this on the show last week it's tommy la stella being traded away tommy la stella who is out homering mike trout and has hit a grand slam recently. Hey, Tommy Lestella is. I have a complicated, you know, relationship with how I feel about Tommy Lestella because after his whole antics of, I'm not going to report to the miners and I'm going to go home and like that really rubbed me the wrong way. I was as far against Tommy as you could be, but he eventually, you know, drew his way back into my good graces as a fan. And uh, I actually went to uh, one of the games when the Angels came to town and saw the epitome of a Tommy LaStella performance. I think he reached four times without a hit. Um, you know, the most stereotypical Tommy LaStella performance ever. And <laughs> one of the most valuable players in, in the league somehow. And he's already doubled his career total in home runs. And, you know, Move over, Mike Trout. It's, it's the Tommy show now. Here's my thing with Tommy LaStella, and I said this on the show last week, is that there's no way he'd be doing this as a Cub because he would not be playing every day like he can in Los Angeles. It just it wouldn't happen. No, of if, course. You know? Yeah, I mean, Tommy's getting reps, and that's something he, he was never going to get. He, was not a, he wasn't even a starter for us, let alone an everyday player. He was a bench guy. When you needed someone to work in at bat late or to come off the bench and, and come up with a knock, he was your guy. He was not a starter. He wasn't even a reserve. He was literally a pinch hitter. And yeah. you can't fault Theo for moving on from a guy whose only role was a pinch hitter. And there were a lot of people, too, who were like, oh, what is Tommy LaStella doing here? Oh, what do you mean you got rid of him? Look at him. He's hitting over 10 home runs. It's very easy to be reactionary about these things. I didn't mind Tommy LaStella. I loved his pinch hitting abilities, but I wasn't shedding like a waterfall of tears when they traded him. And I'm still not. And I'm actually very happy to see him doing what he's doing because sometimes it changes scenery is the best thing for you, even if you're going from great scenery, as in contending scenery, to scenery that has the best player in baseball and not much else, typically not contending, that could still be the best for you as a player. Whether it's getting more playing time, just a better fit in a better environment, whatever factors it may be. But I'm not too upset about this. Do I think it was a terrible trade? No. Do I think it was a good trade? No. I would just kind of shrug at this one and say, you know, maybe it was a bit more negative than positive right now because Daniel Descalso really isn't doing much. But I'm not going to call it a terrible trade. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Theo felt like a veteran presence is what the clubhouse needed after last year. And I think that he looked at the skill set of Tommy and the skill set of Daniel Descanso and said, I'll, you know, I'll lay my chips down on Descanso and expect the same production. And, you know, it's still it's still early. Uh, Descanso could definitely turn it around uh, and get going again like he was early in the year. But good for Tommy. I'm happy for him. Me too. Absolutely. So that pretty much wraps up that. Those were the pretty big trades since 2016. A lot of trades go over, and you could do a whole separate segment on signings too, but we just wanted to focus on trades. Right now, uh, just give you a quick update. Uh, Cubs are leading 3-1 to one on three solo homers uh, in one inning. Hayward, Russell, and Bodie. Uh, just a little fun update there. And Bodie is hitting... This first home run in seemingly a while, Jason Hayward has been struggling too, and I mentioned this in my last article over the weekend, a number of struggling Cubs. It's kind of what I wanted to end the show on. We mentioned Daniel Descalso, who's had like a negative WRC plus the past month. Jason Hayward, who's had a combination of pressing and a little bit of bad luck, but I do feel like he's at least still drawing walks, which is good. So... You know, at least there's something there. And then John Lester, the guy who's pitching tonight. John Lester, I think, was just kind of due for regression. Could you agree with that? I mean, he wasn't going to sustain a 1.16 ERA throughout. No, I mean, he did did this last year. I mean, he regressed later in the year. But, I mean, you can't expect a 35-year-old to do that over the course of a season. You just can't. No, absolutely not. Is your phone ringing? Lots of dings? Are you just adding in some fun sound effects? Oh, no, I wish I was. Um, Apparently, my messages app. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) My wife doesn't understand when I don't answer the phone. It means I'm busy. So she's just going to call me until I decide to pick up. Well, uh, tell tell her thanks for the fun sound bites. We don't have a lot of sound bites on this show. Yeah, I know. We'll probably get sued from Apple for stealing their sound effects, but oh well. <laughs> we do not copy this. We're not copyright, whatever you call it. Uh, we don't own this material. We do not condone this. Right. This is totally accidental, not intentional. We do not own any Apple sound effects or any Apple products whatsoever. Ooh. Disclaimer. End of disclaimer. <laughs> oh, well. It'll be yeah. But like we were saying, John Lester goes through patches where he struggles. We've seen it every year since he was a Cub. Now, John Lester is always good enough to bounce back after a few bad starts. That's just what happens when you pitch as often as John Lester does. You're going to have some slumps. What is it? 32 starts every year, right? Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, at least 31 since 2008. Yeah, I mean, talk about the epitome of consistent. I mean, you know, when his name comes up, he's going to take the ball. And what I've always loved about John is even on days where he just doesn't have it, more often than not, he just gets it done. He finds a way, he wills his way through his start and keeps you in the ballgame. Now, the last couple have been real clunkers, and John openly admitted that. I mean, and that's what I also like. I mean, he owns it, he's not going to make excuses. He's not going to blame an umpire or the defense or anything, conditions. He's going to say, look, my team needed me and I didn't show up. I'm going to get back after it and be back in five days. 
You and, follow him on Twitter. He's always taking responsibility when things go bad. Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, he's just a class act. And, you know, I don't worry about him. Hayward, I, like you said, he's still getting walks, which is great. But I feel like we're seeing more of him rolling over balls to the right side, uh, something that was pretty much his offensive staple last week or last year. Um, Descalso, I don't know. I feel like ever since he, you know, got banged up, he hasn't been the same. But yeah. there's a lot of baseball left. And But the one guy I really think that they're they're missing, and not just for his on-the-field contributions, is Ben Zobrist. I mean, oh, I mean, yeah. He is such an integral part of that clubhouse fabric. To not have him there, never mind what he does with his versatility and his his plate discipline and everything he brings to the diamond, just not having him in the clubhouse, I think, is a big loss. Oh, I agree. I think they're definitely missing him. He is a perfect veteran to have on a team that is trying to compete. Not only for his skills, but for his versatility, for his ability to be a great clubhouse presence. Everything he brings is a positive to the team. Everything. It's incredible what this guy has brought to the team. And it's incredible how it could be so overlooked at times. You know, obviously, we're caught by stars like Javi and Rizzo and Bryant. But if you ask me who one of the most important center cogs is, it's Ben Zobrist. And that's why I go back to that Castro trade and say, who would you rather have, him or Ben Zobrist? I think the answer is pretty clear. It, it, it absolutely is. I mean, Ben is, just like Johnny's a class act. He handles his business. He, he's, you know, the, the team before me nonstop every minute of every day. Um, I think his presence has helped develop what we now um, look at as, you know, the Cubs way. I think that Ben Zobrist, you know, wrote maybe not the whole book, but a good chunk of it on, on what it means to be a Cub in today's today's day, uh, today's age. Yeah, and you know, he's going through a lot right now, and a lot of people right now are asking, where is he? How long does it take? Yada, yada, yada. I think the thing I would say is we really don't know everything that's going on. Zobrist has several kids. The divorce has happened in several states, so I don't really know how processes work differently in other states. I think the Cubs made it pretty clear that they are willing to give as much leeway as they can to Ben Zobrist. They said they think the world of him, as they should. The selfish uh, fan in me wants to say, yo, Ben, Come back already. But I try to be the human and say, do what you need to do. No matter what happens, your legacy with this team is cemented. If you just decided, hey, I'm going to retire, nothing about your legacy should be tarnished in any way. I Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, he, like you said, he's always put the team first. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with him putting his family first, especially at this point in his career. I mean, yeah, his, his focus is where it should be, in my mind. Exactly. He just turned 38. You know, life changes as you go along, whether it's a baseball player or if you're in the business world, when you have kids and the kids get older and you 
certain things, you know, it, it changes. Me as a 25 year old doesn't know the perspective of a near 40 year old with a family. It's, it's, it's hard for me to judge him when I don't know the whole story, when there's probably more that meets the eye. Oh, there absolutely is. And it, quite frankly, it's none of our business. It really isn't. I don't care that it impacts my favorite team that in, you know, in life, you know, him making sure his, his kids are taken care of and his family is, is taken care of. That's so much more important than a baseball game. And anyone who disagrees with that is, I'm sorry, your opinion is pretty invalid to me. I'm right there with you, man. So we continue to pray the best for Ben Zobrist and, uh, Hope that the rest of the team can get back on track here. Like I said, they currently lead 3-1. to one. Most listeners are probably going to be listening after the game, so this score right now is probably pretty irrelevant. But nice to see Bodie and Hayward go deep. Two guys struggling, looking to get back into it. And Bodie's home run was not cheap at all. And Hayward flipped it the other way into the Crawford boxes. But you kind of like that approach. If he's going to take advantage of the ballpark, you might as well, especially when you're slumping. Yeah, I mean, when Jason Hayward's at his best, he's driving the ball the other way. It's as simple as that. We saw that early in the year when he was just scorching hot. And like I said, you know, a couple minutes ago, we've seen him get a little more pull heavy lately. Um, and his numbers have dipped since. So it's good to see him use the whole field again. That's, that's, that's a positive in my mind. You look at the walk-off home run he hit against Miami. You look at the go-ahead three-run home run he hit against the Dodgers. You look at some of the insurance home runs he hit in Milwaukee. Those are all either center or opposite way. Yeah, and and that, like I said, if he's driving the ball, it's probably to, to the other to the other field, and that's that's what you want from him because if you can't shift Jason Hayward and he can use the whole field and get balls in the gap, that guy can run. I mean, he if he can leg some stuff out, I mean that's. Only gonna it's only gonna lengthen this Cubs lineup. It's gonna give you more protection at the bottom, and hopefully you can get it turned over, get back to the top, get to the Elmores, the Schwarber, the Bryants, um, you know, and, and get some some big innings, especially with the team struggling. Absolutely. And last thing I wanted to mention before we sign off: currently, right now, Rizzo is batting, and he's in the two nineties right now, uh, batting average wise with an on-base percentage of over 400, and you look at the home run pace he's on right now, he's a guy that pretty much every year hits 31, 32 home runs. Right now he's on pace to surpass that. He's got 15 right now. 15 Yeah, he's on before pace. June 1st. He's on pace for 47 this year. And I actually wrote about Rizzo this afternoon, and the thing that, Everything that you just mentioned stood out to me, but what stood out to me more than anything is heading into tonight, I think it was 220 plate appearances, he has struck out 29 times and drawn 25 walks. That's impressive. So that it, is very impressive. Well, it's not like he's just seeing pitches and working counts. I mean, he's on pace for almost 50 home runs, and he hasn't altered the type of hitter he is in the slightest. So I, that's why I think this is going to be a season-long thing. So how many home runs do you think he's going to hit? I would get, I think he'll get 40. Uh, he'll, I think he'll definitely set a career high, but I mean, I don't think of 47. That's a, those are big boy numbers and I'm not saying he's not capable of it, but I also think that there are too many instances where he comes to the plate and the Cubs just need to move a runner over or just need to hit the other way where he'll shorten up and do what 
the moment calls for as opposed to just unloading. That's and, exactly what I was just going to say. Thank you for bringing that up. See, man, there's, there's a reason we're both on here together. Just great minds here, here at Climbing the Ivy. Right on. But yeah, I, I would say, for some reason, the number I have engraved in my mind is 38. So a career high, but not that much higher. For the reason you just said, you're going to see a lot of Rizzo choking up on that bat. I mean, you watch him with two strikes. The way he chokes up, the way he just pokes the ball the other way in that situation is remarkable. And do you remember how much early in his career he could not hit lefties and now he's great against them? He's just so consistent with his approach and his numbers year in, year out are consistently really, really good. So yeah, I think with that approach is where you're going to see not a huge spike in home runs, but, a spike, no less. Yeah, it's it's really just a great story. I mean, it, it reminds me a lot of, of Kyle Schwarber early in his career, how the Cubs, until this year, really, have, have been pretty strict in platooning him um, and keeping, keeping him away from lefties. But the way I looked at Schwarber is the same way I looked at Rizzo. How is, how is he ever going to get better unless you just let him work through it? Yeah. And that's exactly what Rizzo's done. And now he's, he's the elite no matter who's on the mound. I remember 2013. That was a year where he only batted 233. I think he batted less than 200. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the numbers against lefties were really bad. Really, really bad. And there was a point in 2013 where I said, send him down, send him back to the minors, but they let him work through it. And in, Beginning of 2014, it started off slow too, but like you said, let him work through it. That's what they did, and here are the results. Ever since 2014, he consistently puts up very similar all-star numbers. And last year, he had a really good year overall. It just, you saw a decrease in the power, but that's because pretty much everybody did. But you still look at the batting average on base and all that, it was still typical Rizzo numbers with just a few less homers. Yeah, I mean, as bad as he started to just get back to what he's always done, it's what's made him successful. And that's why, you know, I, I think Rizzo is probably the most valuable offensive player on the team simply because I see his floor as so much higher than someone like Javi. Because when Javi gets into a really bad stretch, I mean, we saw a really bad game yesterday over five. Um, but like when he gets into those free swinging tendencies, his I still think his floor is lower than someone like Rizzo, who is still going to see pitches, grind at bats, give you situational hitting. So I, I really look at the Cubs' offenses as Anthony Rizzo goes, so go the Cubs. You rarely see like god awful at bats from Rizzo these days, like in run scoring situations. Even if he doesn't get a hit. Like you said, he grinds away. He has good at-bats. It, there's, there's something to be said about that. Totally agree. Well, that's just about going to do it for Climbing the Ivy. Jake, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was great having you. Thanks for having me, man. Anytime. Just a reminder to all our listeners, you can listen to this 
episode and other episodes on iTunes.com. You could check out Cubby's Crib at Cubby'sCrib.com and read a lot of our content from all our great writers, including Jake and I. So until next time, he's Jake. I'm Alex. Have a great night. We'll talk to you next week.